I'll read um, Philippians 21, verses thir- uh, 1 through 13. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your own salvation with, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Thank you, John. That is one of my favorite passages from from Paul to the Philippians. And in fact, it's uh, an excerpt from a common hymn, a song that the Christian church would sing. And that's how they came to share with one another about who Jesus was was through singing that song, the hymn of Christ. Uh, And it has a beautiful cadence. And so, John, thank you for sharing that with us. Tonight, we are returning to our regularly scheduled programming of preaching and reading through what we call the lectionary passages, uh, specifically for year A. And for those of you who are not familiar with the lectionary. It is a tool that's available to anyone and everyone you can find online. And it has scheduled scripture readings for every week of the Christian uh, church calendar. And it offers readings from the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, a psalm, and um, a gospel reading as well. And so the psalm that I adapted for our opening call to worship was from the psalm that is designated for this week's uh, passages in the lectionary. And so this year, the year that we are working through is called Year A. It's the first of three different years of the lectionary. And the passages we have been working through most this year come from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's version of Jesus and Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So in our scripture lesson from Matthew chapter 21 that I'm about to read for this evening, 
We are encountering Jesus in Jerusalem and at the temple teaching for the final time before his arrest and subsequent execution um, in the later chapters to come. It's the beginning of a series of important confrontations that Jesus has with religious leaders in Jerusalem, effectively setting the lifestyle of two different kingdoms and principalities side by side, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God that Christ announces throughout all four of the Gospels, not just Matthew's Gospel. Historically, the discourse that I'm about to share with you, uh, in this discourse, the religious elite found uh, in the first part of this passage, and the parable of the two sons found in the second part of this passage, were considered separate occasions, separate conversations. But the lectionary schedule invites us to think about these two parts as one singular movement. So as we read this full passage together this evening, I invite you to ponder what these two distinct parts might have in common. What is the totality of Jesus's invitation for us this evening? And as always, be thinking of a word or phrase that captures your heart and attention this evening and I will invite you to share that word or phrase after I read and pray over the scriptures. And if you're joining us online, you can always place your word or phrase in the comments section. Hear now these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When he, Jesus, entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But then did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. 
And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we all say, thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment, into this place, into our hearts. Open our eyes and our ears so that we might hear all that you have to say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so what word or phrase captured your attention in this passage? Anything? Line three, tell me, tell me more, why? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Thank you for sharing. Any others? Any online? All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for pointing out that tension between uh, the phrase, the last shall be first and the first shall be last is coming back to the forefront. Any others? So for Matthew's gospel, a common theme that you will hear throughout the stories told of Jesus's life is the importance of authority, namely the authority that has been given to Christ, who is God incarnate in humanity. In that time, authority was a big concern for the religious culture at the time. Between the religious elites, there was this ongoing debate about who were authoritative teachers and who bestowed that authority. Because they were a people struggling to name their own identity once again as God's beloved children in a world of great new diversity, a world where war had brought the demolition of their central gathering place, Jerusalem. And the holy temple, where the heartbeat of religious and social life for the people of Israel was found. Even though that temple was rebuilt, they were still working to rebuild their own identity. Without that identity, they fall prey easily to the powers and the principalities of that new age. The age of the Roman Empire. An age of new technologies new religions, new social norms, and new laws governing governing their land. C. 
So the primary questions on the hearts and minds of these religious elites as they happen across this highly problematic teacher and preacher in their holy temple were, who is the real authority and what does or should that authority look like? Aren't these the questions that we continue to ask in our world today? Except they sound more like who holds the power or a greater share of privilege? What does it mean to exercise privilege equitably? What does good leadership really look like? Who has the authority to interpret the laws that inform the practice of everyday living. As Jesus often does, he responds to the question of the religious leaders who would be identified as having an authoritative position within the religious and societal structure of the day. He responds to their question with another question, and a parable, neither of which seemed to answer the pressing question at hand, who gave you authority? Who has authority? And yet, in these two responses, Jesus defines what true authority and power is to look like. To fully understand Jesus's point, though, I believe we need to first look at the parable of the two sons. In this parable, Jesus juxtaposes the responses of these two sons to a request of their father to work in the vineyard. The first son initially says no, but then does what is asked. The second son says yes, but then does not follow through on the task he said he would do. Then Jesus makes meaning of this parable by granting special privilege and honor in God's society to people who would be deemed as the ultimate traitors and sinners of the time, tax collectors and sex workers, the people who would never, ever be allowed to step even a toe into the holy temple. At first glance, this story has nothing to do with authority. Instead, it's a story about integrity. It's a story about how your yes should actually mean yes. It's a story about the ability to admit faults and committing to step into a better future. Jesus' response to the religious leaders is this parable not about authority, but about integrity. By Jesus telling this parable that describes integrity, he is claiming that this is value, is somehow intrinsically connected to what it means to have authority. But how? How are these two seemingly opposite characteristics related? And the key to answering this question is in the way Jesus identifies the absolute slum, or so they thought, of humanity in the eyes of the world 
as people who are the first to inherit God's kingdom. Just as Jesus just juxtaposed the two sons in the parable, he places the faithful response and integrity of the tax collectors and sex workers next to the response and general attitude of the religious elite. In response to their initial question of authority, Jesus asks them this other question, almost turning the entire scene into a big riddle. I will also ask you one question, he said to the Pharisees. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? As the readers and hearers of the story, we are privy to the internal struggle amid the elites in response to this question. They know the answer that they believe is correct, but we see them try to manipulate their response to elicit the best outcome. They're not concerned with the truth, but instead they are calculating an answer that would best fit their own needs and desires. Anyone living in that time would readily recognize their authority by the clothes that they wore and the scholarly scrolls that they carried around and by all the important meetings that, that they attended. They were the powerful. They were the privileged. And yet they chose to respond in a way that was not infused with integrity. Their yes did not mean yes. Their attitude of self-importance clouded their response with dishonesty. Whereas the people who would not even be considered as remotely powerful were granted privilege because of their integrity, regardless of anything that they had done prior to that moment. By holding these two examples in tension, Jesus answers the question of authority. In God's kingdom, authority is not bestowed upon by an external earthly force, but it is a gift from God that is within each of us. The people who have been given power and authority in God's kingdom are those who exhibit righteous integrity. Stephen Covey says it this way, moral authority comes from following universal and timeless principles like honesty, integrity, and treating people with respect. So what does this mean for us? As people who are called to live, move, and be in this world in a way that points to the world that is coming. As people who are called to this higher authority, are we living with integrity? Do we mean what we say? Do we follow through on the promises that we make? In the words of Paul, do we allow the same mind to be in us that was in Christ Jesus? The ultimate example of authoritative integrity. Someone who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, 
but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, being humbled and became obedient to the point of death. Friends, this is humility, yes, but this is integrity, because integrity is embodied humility. It is Christ alone who most perfectly or most perfectly embodied what humility and integrity in this mystery we call the incarnation, this indwelling of God alongside us in humanity. Jesus himself is the example of what ultimate power and authority is and should and must look like. As Christ's followers in this world, all authority is his, gifted to us as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility, our job, to use our gifts to transform the world through righteous integrity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.